It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timph. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, December 29th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Will the U.S. Supreme Court intervene in Colorado's decision to kick the former president off the ballot as other states consider their next moves, even as an appeal means Trump's name may still appear before Colorado voters? I think that the general view is that this is a very dangerous theory. Uh, It would allow for types of tit-for-tat measures in red states and blue states. Uh, It is based on the broadest possible interpretation. I'm Chris Foster. Alice Marie Johnson's been a free woman again for five years now. Her life sentence in federal prison cut short by then-President Trump. I don't shy away that I did something wrong. What was wrong about my case is that the time didn't fit the crime. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Last week, Colorado State Supreme Court ruled that President Trump should be kept off the state's primary ballot, agreeing with a lower court judge that Trump had engaged in an insurrection on January 6th. And so under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, they said he can't run. This section says one cannot hold office if one has previously taken an oath to support the Constitution and yet engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Actually, I was surprised and delighted I was very happy with the ruling. I felt they read the Constitution correctly. Norma Anderson is one of the people who sued the Secretary of State to keep Trump's name off the ballot, and she talked to the Associated Press December 20th, the day after the ruling. The former president's rivals have backed Trump on this and have slammed the Colorado Supreme Court's decision, even rivals like former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. What the Colorado court did uh, had no precedent in American history, um, and it's not something that's going to be upheld by the Supreme Court. I am going to defeat Donald Trump on my own. I don't need a judge to go take him off the ballot. I think it would cause a lot of anger in this country if people had the choice taken away from them. Since then, Michigan's Supreme Court ruled that Trump's name must stay on the ballot. And last night, the Secretary of State of Maine decided the former president is disqualified from their state's ballot. She concluded that the former president participated in an insurrection, though she wrote that she would suspend the effect of her own decision until the Superior Court rules on any appeal or the time to appeal has expired. Now, after the Colorado decision, Trump reflected on his legal issues at a rally in Iowa. Because I'm being indicted for you. Never forget, our enemies want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. It's very simple. I'm not going to let them do it. Now, the Secretary of State in Colorado says now that the state Republican Party has appealed the state Supreme Court's ruling, the former president's name will be on the ballot unless a move by the U.S. Supreme Court gives the state the go-ahead to keep Trump's name off. However, apparently, timing here is everything. Well, the key here is the certification date. Jonathan Turley is a George Washington University law professor. So the question is, what happens if the Supreme Court does not make a ruling before January 5th? And the Secretary of State is saying that they will follow the lead of the Supreme Court in, in Colorado and keep Trump's name on the ballot. So the only 
two ways that Trump's name would leave the ballot or be removed would be if the Supreme Court upheld the Colorado Supreme Court, which seems unlikely, or if it declined to review the case, which also seems rather unlikely. So in all, I think the most likely prospects would be the Supreme Court would overturn the decision of the Supreme Court before January 5th, or that the Supreme Court could simply let the clock run out and make no decision before January 6th. If it does that, then Trump's name will be on the ballot, according to the Secretary of State. And then because the it's already because it's already printed, it's already on there. It's it's too late at that point, right? That's right. And so the okay. question is, will the Secretary of State then uh, seek to have the appeal dismissed as as moot? Well, let's say it's not mooted, and we do have to dive into the issue, right? The Colorado Supreme Court said they were basing their decision on a lower court's decision in which there was a trial. And the question was debated about whether or not former President Trump engaged in insurrection. And this lower court judge found that while he engaged in insurrection, he shouldn't be removed from the ballot because Section 3 of the 14th Amendment did not apply to presidents. Is that the root of this discussion of of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and, and who it applies to, what you have to do in order for that to apply to you? The trial court did find that President Trump did engage in insurrection. Many of us disagreed with that part of the decision. Uh, but the Colorado Supreme Court uh, basically picked up on that and reaffirmed it. Now, the trial court went back to 2016 and, and used statements before Trump was even president to suggest a pattern of this type of violent rhetoric. All of that's ripe for review, but it is not what is being appealed. Right. Uh, what's being appealed by the GOP um, are these jurisdictional questions. And what many people might find somewhat counterintuitive, the trial court said that the president of the United States is not an officer of the United States. And a lot of folks think that that's just seems nonsensical. It really isn't. Uh, the argument here is that officers of the United States are a term of art, uh, that the president appoints our officers of the United States. He actually takes a different oath than the one ah. in in the 14th Amendment. So the argument is that it's not clear or uh, that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, applies to the president or vice president. Professor, who should be deciding whether or not a president gets to be on on a ballot, if is that is that is that Congress? Who who is that up to? Well, that goes to the second issue that is being appealed here. That is, the Colorado GOP is saying, even if the president is an officer of the United States, these states don't have the authority to simply make this declaration that there has to be an act of Congress. There has to be okay. action from Congress to uh, uh, essentially declare that uh, a crime of insurrection uh, or rebellion has occurred uh, in this case. That obviously has never happened, despite a, a rather motivated special counsel uh, and also an equally motivated D.C. attorney general. Nobody has charged Trump with incitement, let alone insurrection mm. or rebellion. So the second question is whether 
this is simply invalid because there needs to be a decision by Congress. That was the position of former Supreme Court Chief Justice Chase, uh, who ruled in a lower court that there had to be some action from Congress first. The only constitutional issue that's being raised uh, as a standalone issue is the right of association rather than speech. The GOP is saying that this is also unconstitutional because it's telling the Republican Party who they should be able to nominate. So all of those issues are going before the court, and they're very strong issues. You know, in my view, the the question here is, is, is whether the court will simply let the time run out. Um, and also, if the court does consider it, um, how they can do so in this rather short window. I mean, the way that this thing was handled in Colorado uh, made it very difficult for the Supreme Court to conduct a meaningful review. Well, tell me a little bit more about, because Michigan decided, right, their Supreme Court considered this question, and they said, well, look, we're not even going to hear this case. Um, there are other states trying to figure this out, and California's um, lieutenant governor says, you know, it sounds pretty desperate in, in her desire to get Trump off the ballot. So there are other states who are very highly motivated by this. Is that a motivation for the Supreme Court to act with any uh, uh, quickness? I think it should be. Uh, there's obviously a division among the states. Uh, Colorado is currently an outlier, uh, but there are equally motivated people in other states. The challengers here really uh, adopted a, a shotgun approach. I mean, they they had a widespread of shot across the country looking for any judge or court that would embrace this controversial theory. For the most part, they have lost. I mean, Colorado was the one case where they were able to find four justices to do this thing. But on that court, there were seven democratically appointed justices. The whole court is appointed by Democratic governors. Hmm. And even on that court, three of those justices not only refused to sign off, they were vehement in dissent that this was wrong. And it's something I keep on emphasizing to people that you know, in our politics of rage, we often assume the worst about people we disagree <laughs> with. Uh, but these are these cases uh, where this theory is being rejected are often being rejected by democratic jurists. Hmm. And we need to recognize that. These are people that have greater fealty to the Constitution than they do to any party alliance. Um, and I'm hoping that'll be the case on the Supreme Court. Uh, but yeah, what was it? They were hinting, they were sort of, they weren't even hinting, they were simply saying, because you guys de- decided that the former president is an insurrectionist, that that's that's your deal. We we don't have the, the, right that kind of language. We don't have we 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 don't base our 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 who gets to be on 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 that kind of language. Yeah, the court went out of its way to avoid a direct rejection of what Colorado said. It was a bit telling. They didn't have to do that. Okay. But at the end of the day, uh, his name is going to remain on that ballot and. All of these other uh, courts have found different reasons for rejecting this from standing to uh, the specifics of state law. I think that the general view is that this is a very dangerous theory. Uh, It would allow for types of tit for tat 
uh, measures in red states and blue states. Uh, it is based on the broadest possible interpretation. One of the things that I encourage people to read that Colorado Supreme Court decision is to look at how every one of the key elements, the, color, the, the four justices on that court, had to adopt the most sweeping interpretation to make this work. So at mm. every barrier, at every test, they went to the farthest extreme to stretch language. Um, they frankly had to try too hard, in my view. The only part of that opinion that is narrow is when they get to free speech. And then they adopt a very narrow view of free speech. Uh, and of course, that was the defense uh, that was raised by the Trump people. I guess I'm still a little bit confused about who gets to decide ultimately who's on a ballot, because we keep hearing about how it's up to states, right? That I mean, we see this with RFK Jr. right now. He's trying to get on the ballots in different states. So why isn't this decision then ultimately up to the states? Is it because there's a, a different question that applies here? And that question is a 14th Amendment Section 3 question. And typically states would have the, the ability to determine who's on their ballot, but this is different. Well, there's a bit of a argument that is frankly nonsense that's being put out there that uh, the Supreme Court would be hypocrites because they're supposed to be in favor of state rights and uh, states make these decisions. Uh, it's it's so wrongheaded, it's, it's, it's hard to get your arms around it. Yes, states do control important aspects to elections, but this particular decision is based on the federal constitution. It's based okay. on the 14th Amendment, Section 3. And what critics are, are raising um, is absurd. So that argument does not have any legs. I mean, it's not going to work with the United States Supreme Court. They're going to say, you got the wrong constitution, buddy. <laughs> when it comes to the state constitution, we might give you some deference. But this happens to be ours. And we will decide what the 14th Amendment means. Thanks for educating us on all of these matters. George Washington University Law Professor Jonathan Turley, thanks so much for joining us. My great pleasure. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. I'm Dana Perino. This week on Perino on Politics, throughout the year, we saw many candidates enter the 2024 presidential race, but only a few are left standing. Fox News digital politics reporter Brooke Singman provides a closer look into candidates' campaign strategies going into the election year. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. Data from the FBI shows a drop in crime in the United States this year. But more Americans than ever, nearly two-thirds in the latest Gallup poll, believe crime is a very or extremely serious problem. The Fox News Rundown did a week of segments this summer focused on crime in America. For one, we spoke with a convicted criminal, now a fully pardoned criminal justice reform advocate, released from a life sentence after being granted clemency by President Trump in 2018 with an assist from Kim Kardashian. Now let's go back to July 5th in our interview with Alice Marie Johnson. Alice Marie Johnson spent 21 years in prison. She was sentenced to life without parole in 1997 for cocaine trafficking in Memphis, Tennessee. She was a single mother of five children and says all she did was relay coded telephone messages for drug dealers. Kim Kardashian took up Johnson's cause, visited the White House on her behalf in 2018, and a week later, President Trump granted clemency and had her released. I'm free to hug my family. Yes. 
I'm free to live life. I'm free to start over. Alice Marie Johnson's an advocate now for prison and criminal justice reform. From people I know personally in the communities that they serve, I don't hear people telling me that they to defund the police. He's founder and CEO of the TAG Foundation, taking action for good. I think that uh, especially, Chris, in the black community, we definitely don't want to defund the police because we look at them as what their roles are, and that's to be a part of the community to help serve. And then you've got the police who live in communities, too. I really think that is, I, I can't believe anyone will come up with something like that. I think we need to support the police and make sure that they've got the tools that they need to do their job and that they are focusing more. I believe in focusing more, especially on violent crime. Get Free the police up to do what they need to do. I truly believe, Chris, that people should be held accountable for their actions, but that it should also be fair and just. I don't shy away that I did something wrong. What was wrong about my case is that the time didn't fit the crime. It yeah. was extremely excessive. Right. And they also, you were accused of being, I don't know, higher up in a drug conspiracy organization than you say you actually were. So part of it was the sentence didn't fit what the crime you were actually convicted of, and you probably were overcharged, right? Oh, absolutely. The one who was really at the very top, he cooperated. And, uh, you know, not to retry myself, he cooperated. Of course, he had a long criminal record, so he knew what he needed to do to get a lesser sentence. And they ended up getting the small sentence, and I got the lion's share of the sentence when I was, in fact, a telephone mule. So I don't really consider myself as a victim. I consider myself as a victor because I did not allow that time to change who I am as a human being. Character is the only thing that you have when you go in prison that you can take with you. So I didn't allow that to break me, and I really worked to influence prison culture for good. Yeah, You've been out for five years now. When you think back, does it feel like it was life before prison and then, then life after prison with a different life in between, or is it all just life? It's all just life for me. Going into prison, the person who I am, I never really was ever criminally minded in my life. I just had something happen that was not a good situation. I made a very poor decision during a time of uh, high stress in my life. Looking back on it, I would never make a decision like that. I'm going to say being in my being not under that kind of pressure that I was on, but I still don't excuse my actions before prison. I am that same person. And when I went into prison, my life continued. I made a decision that I'm not going to give in and conform to how prison is supposed to be or conform to their culture, but I'm going to try to make a difference for good there. I did the same thing before I went to prison. I did the same thing when I got to prison and coming out of prison, I still look at life in terms of making a difference in the lives of others. Yeah, and even in, uh, you became, was it, a, I knew you worked in hospice. Did you become a nurse or just some sort of hospice? No, uh, no I became, uh, in order to be a hospice volunteer, they don't have nursing programs in prison. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that women were in hospice, and I'm, I've been given a life sentence and told that I'm going to die in prison. And many of them were not getting receiving visitors. And so they did have hospice training, which is a very intense training. And, 
I signed up to do it, and that was really one of the most rewarding experiences of my life to be there with someone who has no family. And they didn't know me initially because uh, some of the women had been transported from other prisons. But to be there to give them some joy and peace and just to read to them, to sing to them, to hold their hands where they did not have to die alone. A lot, a lot of people in your situation might have spent, once they're out, might have spent the rest of their lives just wanting, I don't want anything to do with the criminal justice system. I just want to move on. But you're out there trying to help other people get out of prison with your TAG Foundation. Tell us about that. It stands for Taking Action for Good. How do you determine, first of all, what sentences are unfair? That, what cases do you take on? Well, I receive a lot of cases, especially when I received my freedom under President Trump. Even the women who I left behind, they were crying the day that I left prison, asking me, please don't forget about us, Miss Alice. There was no way that I could just walk out of prison, well, let's say run out across the street. <laughs> but there's no way that I could just leave them knowing that I was had this platform. Even if I didn't have this platform, I would have been doing everything that I could to advocate for them. They became my family. People are human. And I started this foundation as a way to humanize the need for criminal justice reform, to put their faces out there, to put their stories out there. So I've really got two things that I'm really focused on right now, and that's showing the people who have gotten out of prison, who have made good use of their second chances. Because honestly, all you see in the news is when someone messes up, they want to focus on that and say, that's why we have violent crime. And when you've got people who are doing outstanding, Outstanding, absolutely outstanding in their communities now. And I could name so many people, people who I helped gain their freedom and people who got who received their freedom under the First Step Act and some who just finished their many who just finished their sentence. Why are we not hearing anything about that? So that's my mission is to not only show the people who have made good really to humanize them. Because when you hear people saying bad things and you just, it's like with the police. If one police do something, then it becomes this whole defund the police or they focus on the bad cops and not the good ones. So for me, it was my story that I believe changed America's opinion of what a prisoner would look like. I was just like them, had been a normal contributing citizen. And then I'm caught up in something. I made a mistake. I paid more than what was warranted. And then I come out and they see me. So it's important that they see other people too. And also I want to show people who are in prison who deserve a second chance, who rehabilitated. The message that we give out when we demonize people who are back in society and doing great, we don't give them a chance. When people demonize those who are out here doing good because of the actions of a few, because we are not the ones responsible for the uptick in violence. You know, I just want to say it's so important for people to see them, for me to help them get their voices out and to continue to get my voice out and to really show the public these are people just like you. They're human beings. Well, speaking of those few, bail reform is a controversial thing. I want to see if you have any thoughts on it. The idea behind bail reform is to not keep people locked up or force them to take a plea deal just because they can't afford bail. But then you get, of course, the stories of the people doing violent crimes who would have been locked up without bail reform. It's a tricky thing to balance. It is a tricky thing to balance because honestly, I think bail reform to some has become a slippery thing. I believe people should be held accountable for their actions. If you've got someone out there, Chris, that's committed a violent crime, those are not the people that bail reform was meant for. I was in jail with women 
before I went to the federal prison after my uh, trial. And they were in there for the craziest things. Couldn't get home to their kids. They couldn't make a $200 bond. They ended up having their children taken away from them because they couldn't make bond. They ended up having them in foster care. With anything, there can be extremes and abuse. Albeit, the bail reform had an intention of doing good, and it still does. However, there are some out there who are just letting people go and not holding them accountable. And that's where the problem in itself lies in. Bail form in itself is not the problem. It's how it is being applied in some situations that is the problem. You're also trying to help kids stay out of prison. I was reading about, tell me about Cafe Momentum. First of all, I think it's a cool program. Oh, yeah. Cafe Momentum is very dear to my heart. I I work with those youth. We've been at the Super Bowl with food trucks, bringing attention to juvenile justice impact of juveniles. And so one of the things I told the women and they saw, I fulfilled that promise immediately. I told them, not only am I going to advocate for you, but I'm going to advocate for your kids because many of the children have parents who've been in cost, who are incarcerated and they end up getting on a wrong path of foster care. So I saw Cafe Momentum, what they were doing with the kids that had been just as impacted. Not only were they helping the, um, ones who have been impacted with learning culinary skills. They make sure they have an education. They view them with a holistic approach. And so I really wish we had more things that would address uh, juvenile justice because they are our future. If we can stop them, we can change their lives and let them know that what you did don't define who you are now, that there's a pathway to turning your life around. And so that really inspired me, that juvenile detention center I went to when I first got out. That was the first place I visited. And one of the young women there, I impacted her life to the point she became a Cafe Momentum uh, ambassador, one of their ambassadors. She graduated valedictorian and she was on. a. You know, when you see the fruit of your labor, it made me Cafe Momentum is is one organization that I fully support for the work that they're doing. Uh, you became a grandmother and a, and a great-grandmother uh, in prison. Yes. You, you catching up? Have you, you had uh, your fill of regular grandma time? Oh, I love being around my grandchildren. You know, I had twin grandchildren, a grandson and a granddaughter. So I've been with them since they were born. They were three months old when I came out. So when I say born, they were very small. So they know me as grandma. But now my relationship with my grandchildren has totally bloomed. I never stayed disconnected from them, though, in prison. I would make them craft things. And I didn't know how to crochet when I went to prison, but I learned how to make crafts. I wrote them letters so they would have something to hang on to. And my oldest grandson, who was 18 months old when I went to prison, he showed me everything that I had ever sent him when I went to prison, he had kept it. So it was, it's so important to stay in touch with your family. Alice Reed Johnson, it's really a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I, I, founder of the TAG Foundation, among all her other good work. Alice, thanks. Thank you, Chris, for having me on. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. 
Imagine working for a whole year for a 60-second payoff on December 31st. That's what the artisans who create the most well-known item of Waterford Crystal do. It's the world-famous ball that drops every year in New York City's Times Square, and it takes an entire 12 months to make the big moment happen. The ball features 192 triangular crystal panels, which measure about five inches per side. They're attached one by one to the ball, which weighs nearly 12,000 pounds. The triangles are bolted to more than 32,000 LED modules attached to the ball's frame, which is aluminum. Those LEDs can make more than 16 million colors and billions of patterns, making for a spectacular sight on New Year's Eve. The ball measures about 12 feet in diameter, and it's never taken down or covered up. Visitors to Times Square can look up and see it year-round. Waterford has a different theme for each year for the ball, and this year's theme is the gift of love. It features a series of interconnecting heart-shaped diamond V-cuts, thus representing the warmth and caring of humanity. A good feeling to take into 2024. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. I'm Emily Campagno, host of the Fox True Crime Podcast. This year, I had the honor of launching the Fox True Crime Podcast. I was joined by so many incredible guests who lived the crime stories they shared. This week, I'm bringing you highlights from some of the most gripping ones of 2023. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Laren. What's on your mind? They've come for your light bulbs, your cars, your gas stoves, and now this. Democrats ruin, regulate, and tax everything they can get their paws on, and this time they're coming for another household item, your gas-powered leaf blower. Washington state Democrats are seeking to outlaw gas-powered lawn equipment, and if they get their way, violators could even face jail time. Their bill claims that your gas-powered lawn equipment contributes to climate change and noise pollution and therefore must be stopped at all costs. There are a few exceptions for commercial, government, and residential use, but those who do not comply could be saddled with a gross misdemeanor, fines up to 10 grand, and even imprisonment up to 364 days. Liberals, man, they seek to regulate your life while they simultaneously allow illegal immigrants, felons, and thugs to run buck wild. Well, I've got news for you, Washington State Democrats. Pause off our functional household items. We have had enough. I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can watch my show, Tommy Lahren is Fearless, at Outkick.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.